Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that we do, the things that we don't do, things that maybe we should do. And <laughs> both Katie and our guest today are looking at me like, where is this going? And honestly, this is just one of those rambling intros that we have. So rather than making this more awkward, we're joined once again by Lindsay Brian Podvin. She's been a guest of the show before, spoken at Therapy Reimagined with us, talking to us about money and the ways that we could be looking at it for our practice. So thank you for joining us again. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. This is my favorite thing to chat about and to be in community with you guys again is fun. Oh, we're so glad to have you back. And we'll definitely link to your previous episode in our show notes, but for folks who haven't heard from you for a while or for our new listeners, tell us who you are and what you're putting out into the world. Yeah. So as Kurt mentioned, my name is Lindsay Brian Podvin. I'm a social worker and financial therapist, and I have kind of two arms of what I'm putting out there into the world. I have my clinical arm and then I have my consulting arm. So in my clinical world, I'm doing financial therapy, which is helping clients with the emotional and psychological side of money, which spoiler alert is all of it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And then on the consulting side, I know you all know that therapists have money shit and we have a lot of hangups about it. And so in my consulting arm, I help mostly other therapists though, over the past year, I'll say that other kind of helping professionals have woven their way in, whether it's dietitians, acupuncturists, uh, Reiki healers, because I think a lot of us get similar messaging about what money is and what it isn't. And so I help them work on their emotional and psychological relationship with money so they can have sustainable and profitable businesses. Um, and I do like outside of the, the hands-on work or the zoom work, I suppose I have a podcast and Instagram, a pretty active blog and an email list that keeps me using my creative side of my brain. Nice. I love it. One of the big discussions that's been in the social justice aspects of our field, and especially for private practitioners and admittedly also here on our show is talking about things like accessibility and being able to make our services go beyond just those top paying cash pay clients. 
Can you walk us through kind of what you hear in these discussions about accessibility for practices and especially as it relates to some of these monetary issues? Yeah, I think as therapists, we get really stuck on accessibility being only a monetary issue. So we think about solving for that problem by sliding our scale or by offering pro bono spaces but we forget about all the other ways in which we can and should be accessible if that works in alignment with us. So as I think you guys were talking with Katie Reed about like the the, the money talk that comes up on, on therapist forums and how there's so much guilt and shame and, and judgment about what people do or don't do, whether they do or don't take insurance, whether they do or don't slide their scale, but that's where most of us get stuck. And there are so many things beyond sliding our scale and the fee that we charge that can bring about accessibility for our practices and in our communities. What are some of the things that we could think about beyond sliding scale? Because I think I get stuck there as well with, yeah. and maybe this is just our, our focus is that we're so focused on the monetary aspects mm-hmm. and our own money shit, as you described it. And mm-hmm. so we, we aren't thinking about what else isn't making us accessible. Yeah. I, I think taking a few steps back before a client even finds our website or finds us on a therapist directory, really thinking about how can we make our field more accessible by talking about what is therapy. I think in a lot of communities, we still have these stigmas that therapy is by and for white people. And it's done on a couch with, you know, a person who's got reinforced elbows and they're smoking a a pipe, right? You know, (laughs) like we have that imagery. And if we are not talking to our communities about what therapy is and who it is for and how it can be helpful by not just talking about what it is, but also the stigma reduction. We don't even get people landing on our websites or knocking on our, you know, figurative door, right? So being in our communities and talking about what it is and who it's for and how it can be helpful. And also talking about just the ins and outs of therapy that it is confidential. I think in a lot of communities, there's a fear that if I go to a therapist, then, you know, my mom's cousin's going to find out about it or that my employer will be told about it or that my partner will be told about it. So I think there's some education that has to happen on the back end before people even get to our doors. And then in terms of other measures of accessibility outside of the scale, let's get really granular on, on what is accessibility. Do our clients see themselves reflected in the way that we practice therapy? Can clients who have disabilities, either neurodiversity or physical limitations, do they have actual access to our offices? Are they ADA compliant? Do we offer, you know, nowadays, so many of us offer basically Zoom therapy, which makes it so much more accessible. Are we operating on bus routes and public transportation? Is there easy parking, like the literal accessibility piece? And then the cultural competency piece. Can they speak my language if I don't speak English? Do I have somebody sitting across from me in the therapy room who gets what I'm talking about? When we talk about cultural competence, not just thinking about you know, whether or not you took a class on Southeast Asian studies, but what does that mean and how does that show up in our spaces? And, and being embedded in our community beyond just like hiding in this little bubble where we're kind of shrouded in mystery. I think taking therapy out of the shadows and making it more 
commonplace in our communities. Like we are healers in our communities and we shouldn't be hiding behind the walls of like mystery. When there are community events, I would love to see more therapists out and there out and about as sponsors, as networkers and things like that. Like we, we also have to take ourselves out of the shadow. So there's, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about accessibility. So I, I love what you're saying. I completely agree with getting out there. There's some some stumbling steps that can happen in putting ourselves out there because so much of our history is in being shrouded to the you know the the shadows and sometimes the the responses that i hear from clinicians is oh that person went out and was talking about this but didn't represent themselves well or isn't representing the field well do you have any advice as far as taking some of these steps you know look at you and all of the things that you post in your newsletters and social media and this kind of stuff. Money seems to be kind of like a a fairly neutral ground as far as being able to talk about relationships with money. For those who are looking to maybe take some other steps as far as making this accessibility happen that might be around more unique issues to communities, do you have any suggestions on how people might find the confidence to be able to make those steps? Yeah, I I really like this question because I think that accessibility and visibility are are intertwined and visibility isn't just social media. So let's say you do want to be more accessible in your community and you do want to be more visible in your community, but you're talking about something that is more sensitive, like, you know, sexual trauma, then yeah, maybe going on in doing an Instagram live about it isn't probably the most appropriate way because you don't know who's on the other side of it. You really can't create a container of people to make sure that it's safe or at least safer. So maybe in that instance, it's going to, you know, a high school and pulling, you know, and having a group of 30 kids that you are talking to about this in like a speaking engagement setting, or maybe it is going to the healthcare system and sitting down and talking to the medical social workers about what you know, or to the nurse midwives about what you know, right? There are different ways to get out and become a part of the community that don't involve these kind of one-way, one-sided communication methods. Does that make sense? It does. I think this idea of making the whole profession more accessible to folks and all folks and not just the kind of historical white people and the the, the patches and the, the pipes, I think that to me is... It's really, really important. And I think it also is only a first step because mm. when they get to our doors, there still is, I think, you know, financial accessibility concerns for a lot of folks. And so mm. are there financial ways to be accessible that yeah. don't involve, involve sliding your scale? Yeah, of course. So undoubtedly money is a real accessibility issue. I'm not just saying like, Oh, you know, just, just get out there. That's it solves it all. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. An email newsletter is not going to fix accessibility, but as you guys have also talked about on this podcast, it's not the responsibility of an individual therapist to fix the broken medical system Absolutely. Um, here. And at the same time, there are more creative ways to provide services to people in your community that are might be easier on their pocketbooks. So group therapy is also a really great option because you as the clinician are still generating 
the revenue that you need to. And the people on the other side are usually paying you less dollars per session. Insurance, I know there's a big, again, it's not your job to accept insurance if they don't reimburse you well, but accepting insurance is a measure of accessibility. And even if you aren't accepting insurance, helping your clients out, walking them through what a super bill is, you know, spending a little bit of time in session, making sure that they know what that means and how to actually get it done, that to me is incredibly helpful. Um, so providing a bit of space in the in the session to talk through how you can do that, um, particularly if they have anxiety or they've got some um, ADHD, you know, they might need a little extra handholding to get those things done. There are, depending on your licensing board, I've seen some people do sponsored therapy spots. So it's a little bit different than a pro bono. It's think of it like a scholarship for therapy. So the way that I've seen this work is for clients who pay a full fee, you essentially tell them, look, by you paying a full fee, a portion of your fee goes towards sponsoring somebody who would not be able to afford therapy with me. So you're still getting income, but you're also having the clients who are able to pay your fee kind of some buy-in that they are also kind of helping out other people in the community. So those are, are some different ways to be accessible that don't involve sliding your scale. Doesn't mean you have to do all or any of them. It's just different ways to think about it. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. One of the things that you talked about in your presentation at the Therapy Reimagined Conference, this social enterprise. Yes. Can you tell us more about that, what it means for people who maybe didn't attend the conference and mm -hmm. what the social enterprise model is and how this might fit in for therapists? Yeah, I think so many therapists struggle with this idea of charging for services because we've internalized so many things about what money is or what it isn't. And the social enterprise model essentially says, look, there are three things to provide something that you can feel good about doing and also know that you are being compensated fairly for it. And it exists at the intersection of these three things. One, what do you do well? What values do you stand for? And what can you be paid well to do? And as therapists, I think 
if we can think about ourselves at the intersection of that, of existing at, I do this really well. These are in alignment with my values. This type of therapeutic intervention is in alignment with my values. And I can be paid well to do that. You know, that you are contributing to the greater good of the community by making sure that you're not just ringing out your clients for the most dollars you can get, right? I think so many of us think that if I charge money, then I'm a greedy capitalist, but it's also about, am I being compensated for the skills that I offer and the transformations that I'm able to help facilitate in a meaningful way? I know that there are a lot of different perspectives on how you decide how much money to wring out of your clients. (laughs) (laughs) And, and and you mentioned the episode with Katie Reed, and we've had other conversations as well, just about the shoulds and yeah. you know how I should set my fees and those types of things. Yeah. And to me, it feels like there's so much nuance. It's mm-hmm. it's a wide open space. There's a mm-hmm. lot of shoulds, so people feel like it's not wide open, but I feel like it really is. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have on? on setting those fees, because when we're in that space, I can be paid well for it. It's aligned with Mm -hmm. my values and I can do it well. Like it can be hard to figure out like, and what does being paid well mean Mm, that I can feel good about? Yeah. And I think that's such a good question because this idea of what does it mean to be paid well is so skewed in our field. My first job, I was making $32,000, you know, with a master's degree. And I I don't think that's an unfamiliar number or story for people to hear. And so when a lot of people go into private practice, they hold themselves to that standard. Oh, well, I was making 40K or 50K. I think that's a reasonable salary. I think that's what I'll try to make. So we have thought beyond what do we actually need to survive and thrive? And that's where doing things in alignment with your values can be really beneficial. So when it comes to fee setting, you're not just thinking about what are you charging your clients? You're also thinking about, does that fee sustain me and allow me to practice financial self-care, which means, can I take care of my financial needs? Yes. But Am I also able to support my mental, my emotional, and my spiritual self with that? I know I I was loving your episode on burnout, and I love the modeling that the two of you did by saying, look, we're going to hit pause on the the Therapy Reimagined conference. We also have to build in time off and time for restoration. There is a study that says we need, I think, oh shoot, I'm going to botch it now. I think it's eight or 10 consecutive days off in a row to actually unplug from work. So making sure that you have that built in to your time off. So making sure it covers your time off, making sure it covers your health insurance. Unfortunately, we live in a society where your healthcare is tied with your employment. So when you're self-employed, you have to make sure that you can cover your health insurance. You have to also make sure that you're thinking about your future self and traditional employment. We often have access to retirement plans or programs. And when we move into entrepreneurship, we are our own 401k or 403b plan. So we have to make sure that all of those things are taken into account. And we don't want to be overworking ourselves. When we show up exhausted and burnt out and watching the clock, we are not being good clinicians. We just aren't. And just taking stock of our own energy. My full pre-pandemic was 18. I could comfortably see 18 clients a week. That felt like a good fit for me. I wasn't burned out. I wasn't resenting my clients. I had downtime to get the things done I needed to do. And I charged accordingly. Now 
my max is 12. I have found that doing zoom therapy, while there are so many advantages of it, like I I genuinely really like it. I find that literally the physicality of sitting still and staring at my screen and just what really watching so much harder for nuances through the screen takes so much more energy out of me. And I can no longer comfortably and competently feel like I'm a good practitioner when I'm seeing 18 clients. So now I've had to scale that back to 12. And then what do I have to do to make up for that income? So that is a long answer of saying it depends. <laughs> you have to figure out what money you need to be bringing in and you need to make sure that you're not just thinking about comparing it to what you used to earn in an agency job because you were likely being underpaid there. It's hard not to feel like a greedy capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz with that it means you have to charge a premium fee most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Do you have any advice for people making that jump to those premium price? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of our listeners who mm-hmm. might be considering leaving an agency job and yeah. being like, you know, I know, you know, my session value in this agency and this aligns maybe with my values, but mm. going out and charging somebody three, four or five times that fee in order to meet my money goals seems mm. like it has a lot of opportunity to bring up some of that imposter syndrome and really being able to balance that for those individuals. Do you have any guidance on what to really look at? Hopefully beyond just kind of know your worth. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for for saying that because also the know your worth thing, that's a trope I used to find myself repeating. And then a friend of mine who's a behavioral economist, she shared with me Jaquette Timmons. She goes, Lindsay, you have to stop saying that because we as humans, we don't have a worth. So instead she invited me to reframe it as charge the value of what your services are worth to give yourself a little bit of psychic distance there between like, I'm worth $300 an hour. It's like, no, the value of my services are worth $300 an hour. So anyway, tangent aside, how can you come into charging fees for your services? I think there is a pendulum swing that I see happen when people try to get out of the mentality of sliding their scale as low as possible to charging premium fees. And so they go from being in spaces where being a good therapist means charging very little into spaces that are like, you need to be a six, seven figure business owner and you need to be charging premium fees, which can be, as we know, a big jump cognitively. And so I always invite people to come back to your values, your lifestyle needs, your unique financial goals. And I'm not about bashing the people who are saying, oh, you need to make six figures or seven figures. My practice does generate six figures, but I don't think that is a magical goalpost where all your problems are suddenly solved. I think this chase this money, charge the premium fees, you have to work more can backfire in that it forces us to work more. Meaning... When you have that mentality of, I have to work harder, I have to chase this X figure goal or this premium fee number, what happens often is you get into this space where I'll just use myself for an example, that that 12 clients, oh, I saw 12 clients a week. I made enough money to hit my goals. I started to cultivate work-life balance. But now what if I saw twice as many people? I could make twice as much money. What could I do with twice as much money? And then all of a sudden you forget about why you did it in the first place. So coming back to how much do I need? 
How much do I desire? And is the money that I'm charging allowing me to do the things in alignment with my values? Let's say family is like the most important value to me. And I want my 10 consecutive days off in a row with my family. And I want to go somewhere where I don't have to worry about, you know, finding activities for us to do or cooking a bunch of food. I want to make sure that I have enough money to pay for that Airbnb, to pay for takeout. And the Airbnb is conveniently located to a lot of like outdoor activities. That's a goal that I can kind of reverse engineer my way. And to me, it's also modeling for your clients. You don't necessarily have to say to your client, like, oh, my financial goal was this, this, and this, and I was able to achieve it. But you're also modeling for your clients the importance of taking time off, of adhering to your boundaries, and of practicing self-care. So again, that's a a tangent of an answer. But I, I guess the long and short of it is as you move towards charging premium fees, come back to like what your why is. And when you feel that anxiety to work more and charge more and go harder, you actually may already have enough. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I like that. I think the piece that resonates for me is this, the letting go of, I must get to this number, I must Mm -hmm. make more money. And I think for me, there's also this big push of like, we must leverage, we we must continue to grow and expand. And I think there's a point at which we have enough. I mean, there, yes. there may still be challenges that we need to do, but there's this, this freedom in not having to constantly grow and, and make my business bigger and make my business more successful. Mm-hmm. Like there's each person has to decide where they land or where they land for a time and, and, mm-hmm. you know, different seasons of, of what I need and what I want and what's most right. important to me. But it feels like it, and this is kind of circling back to the the social enterprise model and and kind of this idea of capitalism versus money exchange mm-hmm. and and you know clarifying all of that. But mm-hmm. but it seems like when it's completely tied to values, what you're positing is that feels better than just making money for money's sake. 100%. And so so t- tell us a little bit more about this because to me, I feel like I, I'm just starting to grasp the idea. I was, I was too caught up in the greedy capitalism <laughs> to understand kind of what, what we were, what we were starting to talk about with this social enterprise model. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to bounce off of this idea of what is the difference between capitalism and money exchange? I think it's important to note that capitalism is a, is a political economic system that we, we know the dangers of, right? It is propped up by the unpaid and underpaid labor. So the person or people who are in charge get the greatest amount of profit available. And as such, as we kind of touched on earlier, it's a system where we give all the praise to the people who make a lot of money because they must have worked hard and simultaneously shame the people who didn't make a lot of money because they must have not been hard workers. And we've we bought into that idea as a society so much so that, you know, at the time that we're recording this, if you're on Twitter right now, you can see people rallying around Elon Musk saying like, yeah, he shouldn't have to pay taxes. He worked really hard. So we've got all of these people saying like, yeah, save the billionaires instead of let's make sure 
we have a safety net that people can't fall through for the greater good of our society. So that's capitalism, and there's a lot of problems with it. And even if you disagree with it, unfortunately, we live in that society. Yeah. And money exchange, on the other hand, has been around since the dawn of time. Whether it was literal dollars or coins, there has always been an exchange of things for other things or things for other services. And when we think about small business owners, which is most private practice owners, if we can think about ourselves as kind of the community farm stand, it helps to shift that mentality. So for example, if I go down to the farmer's market and I purchase a half a dozen eggs, I'm helping to support sustainable agriculture in my community. I get to know the person who grew my grew my eggs. I don't think we're growing eggs, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Maybe if you're vegan, actually, you're growing your eggs. So you're growing your eggs substitute. <laughs> got it. Got so, it. So we want to think about as therapists, how can we kind of fit into that model where what we do in charging for our services and helping people in our community is a win-win? Because when we have a healthier person in our community, because we're helping them with their mental health, what is that ripple effect on the community and how can that be beneficial? It sounds like, you know, this is what a lot of practitioners do by going out into the community and sharing even some of the things that you were talking about at the top of the episode of just going and talking about mental health and about their practices mm -hmm. and doing some I guess, pro bono work in, in the way of psychoeducation or community education that helps to make that win-win happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so, so powerful. I think when we are in our spaces where we're surrounded by other mental health folks, we forget what the baseline is of mental health knowledge. Oh, yeah. And we forget just like what a wealth of information we have. Like the other day, I did a presentation for non-mental health care providers about what financial anxiety is and tips to cope with it, right? And for anybody in the therapy field, they'd be like, that's like entry-level CBT, maybe if you're lucky. But for this group of people, it wasn't that they don't it, it's just, we forget how much knowledge we have and how valuable explaining some basics of how our minds and bodies and thoughts are connected can be a huge value for other people in our community. So just don't take what your knowledge is for granted. Get out of your academic kind of echo chambers and go talk to people who aren't in the mental health care field. And that is really where you can offer a lot of wisdom and value in your community. So once again, echoing, stop hanging out with therapists. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a theme. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's stop just hanging out with therapists. There it I, is. There, good reframe, Katie. I know. I know. I, it's just, it's really hard. I, I know for yeah. me, and, and we've all spoken for therapists. We've all kind of done that thing. And I'm sure just from the way you described it, Lindsay, you've got the thing like, that was a really nice reminder. And like, 100%. it is so dismissive when a therapist comes up and says that to you, you're like, yeah, but why did you need that reminder? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know? And so I think it's that piece of 
of when you start talking to folks who are not therapists, you recognize this is really important information mm. and it, it's not going to be discarded as, oh, I already knew that because right. it is this new piece that's coming in that then allows, and this is, I guess, going to the accessibility thing. It allows this information to be disseminated more wi widely. It's something where they then are able to implement it. And maybe some people wouldn't need therapy if this information mm. was more readily available and was there first. And so I think I'm, I'm, I'm putting the pieces together, Lindsay. I'm starting to see this. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really sharing the knowledge. It's making sure that you're available and that you've set up a fee system that makes sense for the folks that you're working with. But it's, it's this additional piece of, you know, maybe you get creative and you do sponsorships or, I mean, there's people that have whole mechanisms for nonprofits to donate for, for scholarships, for therapy. So I, I, there's, there's so much creativity that doesn't require an individual to slide their scale to an unsustainable fee. But this notion of just be accessible for all with all of these other pieces, I think is, is hard to do if you're not making enough money to survive and you're seeing 40 clients a week. Ding, ding, ding. That is exactly it. We cannot care for other people in our community when we don't take care of ourselves. And it's, you know, we hammer on this message as therapists, but we forget that in order to practice self-care, we need to be able to fucking afford it. Like yep. we just do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it's not just kind of the, the big luxurious affording things like, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, that eight to 10 days, go, go and do a vacation if that's your jam. But it's also being able to afford the consistent little things of, exactly. and, you know, it's going home at a decent time of night. Mm -hmm. It's being, you know, not spending your your off hours, catching up on notes, or uh, it's having all of the other systems and everything else that we've talked about on this podcast of being able to have the convenience of being able to afford shutting off at mm -hmm. each and every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are the things that we know make the biggest difference is that consistency and that predictability, the predictability that you can power down the predictability that you can pay your bills that helps to give us that mental space to rest and to be safe. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? My website is called Mind Money Balance. It's the same name as my practice. My podcast is of the same name. My Instagram handle is of the same name. So people can find me on any of those places. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll include links to Lindsay's stuff in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com and also follow us on our social media and join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Lindsay Brian Potvin. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 